right, let's get started. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That will be the main passage of scripture we read together. Uh, I'm going to introduce kind of the next 10 weeks of where we'll be going this fall. Lord had put something on my heart and just want to define it, the journey we'll be going on. Uh, but I feel the Lord's called me to construct both theologically and experientially the spiritual culture, like bring it to light for all of us, the spiritual culture that's being cultivated in this house. Uh, that word spiritual is the word pneumaticos. And it's a really interesting word that I'm going to get to in about four weeks. But I want to talk about, one, uh, what does it mean to be a supernatural culture? Uh, this is a house that was not built with human hands but by God. So in essence, the church is a supernatural organism uh, that has a culture that is not of this world. It's a kingdom culture. It's a spiritual culture. There's spiritual gifts. There's a Holy Spirit. And we are living in a day and age of postmodernism where it's beginning to uh, you know, especially in the millennial generation, uh, really manifest, but it's uh, a recognition that science and reason didn't get us. Technology was not the answer to all the pain, suffering, and life. The nuclear bombs uh, that dropped in Hiroshima kind of end modernism and shifted us into postmodernism. And it's one of the big characteristics of postmodernism modernism is we are opening yet again to the reality that there is a spiritual realm. So going to build a construct of what does it mean to engage in a spiritual with the spiritual uh, in a healthy way, in a way that's going to bring longevity. What does it look like to exercise gifts in a body? What are the purpose of the gifts? Um, how do these work? Philosophically, I'm going to go into a lot uh, of angles of this. Uh, and that will be in about four weeks because uh, in the beginning, uh, first, first Corinthians 12 through 14 will be the core verses uh, that this whole next 10 weeks are out of. There will be other things added as well. Uh, but in the middle of this is uh, love. It's the love chapter. And love is very much woven to all of this. First verse in chapter 14 says, pursue love earnestly desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. So we're going to pursue love for the next four weeks. Uh, Rob McCord, he'd never he was, when he was here, he taught specifically, uh, and he, he said it was a contextual word that he'd never preached before, of five components of an agape culture, five components of, a, of, a, of an environment of love, which is the very foundation upon which a spiritual, supernatural culture can thrive and be sustained. Does that make sense? Okay, that's good. Yeah, no one says anything. Am I supposed to read your minds? Uh, so the next 10 weeks, that's where I'll be going. It'll be uh, bit by bit and cover a wide range of topics. I'm going to try to put as much as I can and condense things into these 10 weeks. So I think it'll be good. If you do miss a week, I would encourage you to get on the podcast and listen to it because they will be kind of sequential and will build, 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 build. So it's going to be uh, one message that's about 10 hours long. So you excited? Dan said he was 3,000. I'm only at 10, so that's pretty good. All right, I'm going to pray, then we'll get started. Lord, I thank you that you are desiring to create a church that knows how to engage with you fully. I thank you that we are the body of Christ and that you have designed us in such a way that we function properly. And I pray that over these next weeks, God, and even tonight, that you begin a work and you bring alignment to us individually, corporately, and equip us to function in such a way that we fulfill the mandate placed upon us as the people of God and see your kingdom come because of it, God. We thank you for your word. We ask that it will get into us, that it will stick inside of us, it will transform us, and it will uh, season us, God, like salt. The grace of God will be poured out into us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. So I'm going to talk about agape, love, five marks of an environment of love. And I'm going to do that in four weeks. And tonight, I'm going to start that with an environment of love is marked by honor. Honor. It would be a culture of honor. So what is honor? It is the recognition and the acknowledgement of a person's value and worth. All right? Honor is the recognition of and the acknowledgement of of that value, of valuing another person, all right? A culture of honor bestows value on all its members, all right? This is 1 Corinthians uh, verse twenty, chapter 12, verse 24 through 26 says, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. All right, the key words in this, there will be no division, but all the members will have the same care. All right, this is the goal. This is the goal of the body of Christ, is that honor is distributed in such a way that all members have the same care. Right? What does that mean? That means all members are valued. All members are significant. Single person members have purpose, right? There's this, it's beautiful, right? Imagine a community where every single person knows how significant they are. That sounds like a healthy family. That sounds like what God is desiring to cultivate in his body, uh, which is his bride also. All right, this is amazing. It's beautiful. It's a dream of mine. It's a vision that I see that's not yet fulfilled, but I know it's where we're going. All right, and this is not as easy as it sounds. And that is because, uh, as 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, though we are, even as the body is one, yet it has many Members. Say many members. Many members, right? How diverse is a body? How resembled is your finger with your kneecap, right? And your kneecap with the back of your head, right? Like we can go on and on, right? We're funky bodies. We got some weird stuff going on, right? Some people got like webs between their toes. Some people got double joints and do weird things and crack their toes and do that. Like, right? Bodies are unique things. They're beautiful, but they're unique, right? And humanity has not majored, uh, universally really speaking, has not majored in honoring things that are different than themselves, Right? And that is because carnal man, right, man in the flesh, fallen, sin-filled humanity, is acting as their own gods. Right? It's saying, I don't want God. I don't want to submit to surrender to your will. I'm going to be my own little G God. I'm going to make my own decision. I'm going to do my own thing. When we operate in this God-likeness, independent of God, outside of submission, we want to make things into our own image including God. That's what we do. People that are living in pride, they don't realize it. But when you're walking in pride, you're actually making God into your image. Christians, when they live in pride, they're saying, I'm a Christian, but when we're walking in independence, you're forming God into your own image so that you can do your own thing. Right? When we do that, when we're operating in the flesh, when we're operating carnally, we only value what is like us. Right? And we see this 
all in the culture, all in the world, right? People hang around the people like them that like the same things, that sing the same songs, that talk the same way, that play the same sports, right? Same, same, same. There's, it's homogenous. Culture is naturally homogenous. Things just kind of, you kind of stick to your own club, right? Your own gang. Right? There's something about fallen humanity. That's what you like. You only have value for what is like you, right? And Paul is writing this correction here in chapters 11 through 14. He is correcting the Corinthian church because he's saying there's carnality all throughout the church, and it shouldn't be like this, right? So he's writing this as a correction. He's saying something needs to change. Something needs to turn because you're more than this. You are the body of Christ. Are you following me? Okay. So... Uh, just to give like an example of this, uh, uh, how we value ourselves, right? There's this thing called the tolerance movement. Who's there the tolerance movement? Right? This is like a uh, carnal creation to try to create something that's like, you know, love, right? We're like, we're all love. Uh, but in the thing, even in tolerance, you know, tolerance only values people that are tolerant. It's actually extremely intolerant for anybody that has their own strong opinion, right? Like, you, like, we only value, like, we do not have the capability of honoring anything that's not like us in the flesh. It's impossible. Honor does not exist unless we are living as we were created, as love, right? What is love? Love is patient. This is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag and it's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, right? It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account wrong suffered. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, right? Love is, is the only thing that can empower human beings to honor something different than themselves. Truly honor from the heart. All right, and that's where I want to go tonight. So uh, when carnality is present, uh, carnality breeds comparison. Right? Carnality breeds comparison. And comparison is the thief of all joy. Right? It will still kill and destroy your life. If you live in comparison, your joy will never be safe if you're living in a paradigm of comparison. And carnality, the flesh, sin breeds comparison. All right? There's two manifestations of comparison that Paul is directly speaking into in this letter where he's correcting the practices of the Corinthian church. The first is that comparison can manifest as insecurity. The second is that comparison can manifest as arrogance, right? And he hits both of these on the head in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we'll read first uh, the expression of insecurity. This is verses 14 of chapter 12. It says, For the body's not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. Who has seen this in their own life before? Oh my gosh, that person prophesies. I don't even know what prophecy is. They told me what I had for breakfast. I don't even think God loves me. I don't think I hear from God. Right? Like... It's like literally, you like, you like pick something, and on any day when you're not feeling quite good, it's like, oh man, 
They're so much more gifted than me. They're so much better. I don't know if I have a place here. I don't have a place. Those people all speak in tongues, and I don't. I don't think I have the Holy Spirit, right? Like, we create all these little paradigms of insecurity, insecurity, insecurity. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. I see it. I see people. I've had people say this. It's like they've got this, I don't know. I just feel like I'm the worst. I have nothing, right? It's, it's kind of funny. It's okay. You can laugh. I'm trying to make fun. I'm not being serious. God's serious about joy, right? We're not in comparison tonight. That's what steals joy. You should be happy. We're in the house of God. In his presence is fullness of joy. We should be really happy in the house of God. It's amazing. He's like happy. He's like smiling, you know? Okay. Anyways, that was a rabbit trail. Uh, we'll just keep going here, okay, to verse uh, 17. When this starts talking, it switches over to, to arrogance, right? And it says, uh, it says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? The whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now as God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there's many members and one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. All right, this is arrogance. Right, this is when you start feeling good about yourself by comparison. Oh, man. See how God's using me? Man, I'm prophetic. Gosh, those people, they don't even get it. I don't even know if that, man. Man, do you know how much time I'm spending in prayer? I'm spending like two hours a day in prayer. How often are you spending in prayer? Oh, 30, oh, that's really good. Yeah, that's awesome, right? But, hmm, I'm feeling, it starts puffing up. You start getting this puffed up feeling, right? And you start acting, and then this happens, that's within maybe an individual body. Let's, let's pop up to the microcosm, micro, macroeconomic world, world point. I have, a, I have a kind of a fear of the Lord that being a non-dominational church, that people will fall into this thing of being like, yeah, we're not part of that denominational mold, that wineskin, that old wineskin that's going away. Yeah, we're, we're, we, we got it. River House. River House is where it's at. We're moving. God's flowing. There's freedom. We can just, you know, like it's really easy to get puffed up. And God starts moving pretty soon. You are puffed up. You start feeling really good about yourself because you're looking around everybody else. Right? You know, something I've, I, I've talked to this at the staff before. They'll say things like, oh, yeah, someone, someone came and, you know, they just said, man, you know, I, I just am really experiencing God here is so much stronger. Like my church, it's just God's not moving like that. And I, I've literally said, like, do not get puffed up about that. That is not because uh, we're somehow better, right? Like, there, that's actually, you should be grieved in your heart and say, well, then why is God, why are they not experiencing a fresh move of God there? Right? That's not some type of like, yay us, we're doing so good. That's the Lord saying, well, why don't you start getting on your face and interceding that my church won't be Ichabod, but it'll be a house where the glory is flowing, right? The dream of God isn't that, like, one church is really awesome and the rest are like, ugh. No, his dream is that his bride will be glorious through and through and through and through and through and through. You see what I'm saying? It is so easy to live in this comparison paradigm and start feeling really good about yourself by comparison. But then the crazy thing is the next day, you start feeling insecure. Because it's just two sides. It's two manifestations of the exact same thing, which is comparison. And comparison only can exist in a climate where there is carnality. Okay. Comparison is symptomatic of a self-focused life. All right? Insecurity is a symptom of a self-focused life. Arrogance is symptomatic of a self-focused life. It's about you. 
And I say that because God, it's good news. I have really good news for you. Really, are you ready? Really, really good news. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to fix insecurity. You don't have to fix arrogance. You have to kill it. You just die. It's a lot easier. You don't have to like spend all this time trying to figure out why you're, I don't, no, you just kill it. God wants to put it in the grave. Have a nice little eulogy. You could say eulogy. You are dead. I am co-crucified with Christ. Amen. Right? Beautiful thing is this is actually not even just a passive experience. It's not like, God, kill it. God actually empowers us to kill it. He gives us a lot of opportunities in life. That's what we're going to talk about the rest of the service. You excited? Of how we can partner with God for the cruel crucifixion of the comparison, insecurity, and arrogance in our lives. Yeah, this is a good word. I'm excited. Who's ready to die? <laughs> Woo! I can just feel the faith in the room rising right now. Hallelujah. Gosh, this is good. All right, 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read verse 26 again. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. All right? The way we can honor is a tool that God uses that when we use it, when we, he puts it in our hands like a sword, and we can use it to get crucified with. It's like a fast pace, right? It's like this partnership where God's like, here, here's the answer. Just like choose honor, and that's how you can partner with the co-crucified. That's how you become co-crucified, okay? There's going to be moments, and I'm going to expand upon this, when we're feeling threatened. There's going to be moments when we are put into places where insecurities flare, where arrogance begins to manifest, and it is right there that we, are, we can have temptation. We're tempted, and we can choose honor, and it will put us right down into the grave. Right? So this is how we kill comparison in our life. We honor always, especially when it hurts. Right? That is how you kill comparison in your life. You honor always, especially when it hurts. All right, so where's the scripture for that? That's where we're going. 1 Samuel 16, 17, 18 it is where we get introduced to the young man David and his dynamic with Saul, right? And Saul is the king of Israel. We're told that he has insecurity issues from the get-go. When they go to anoint him as king, he's hiding in the baggage. I think that's kind of funny. Where is he? He's the tallest guy. He's handsome. Where is he? He's, he's hiding with the luggage over there. I don't know why the luggage. But anyways, so he has insecurity. This is okay. I want to speak to everyone. It's okay to feel insecure. We all have a journey of becoming like Jesus, right? Insecurity will not exist in a sanctified life, but it is okay because we're on the journey. This is not to shame, condemn, uh, or make you feel bad about yourself. But I do want to bring awareness to the to the the urgency of this message, okay? Uh, so David uh, is the shepherd boy. He gets anointed king. And we know this day, David and Goliath, where he goes and he kills Goliath, and it's this public victory, right? It's an amazing day. He basically gets exalted into the sight of Israel, and he, he, he appears, right? And so this is now Saul's first interaction with this young man who's 17 years old, we believe, who has just appeared on the scene. He's got this huge victory, and he, he, people love him, right? And Saul gets on his chariot to go home from the battle back to Jerusalem. And there's women on the side of the road, and they begin singing a prophetic song. 
right? I want to stress this. They're singing a prophetic song. They're singing a song that God is putting in them. He's birthing in them. They're, they're actually prophesying as they're singing. And the, the song is this. It says, Saul's slain his thousands, and David's slain his tens of thousands. And Saul, go, go what? Gets offended. What? No, no, no. He's, he's just a 17-year-old kid. He's only killed one dude. One, he was big, but not, not tens of thousands. Not as much as I've done. Right? And he gets threatened. Who in here has been threatened before in a leadership dichotomy, in a leadership arena? Yeah, right? This is a normal human experience. All right, let me, let me rephrase that. This is a normal experience for people living in the flesh. This is not a normal creation in Christ experience, all right? But we're learning to grow into that. Okay, so he gets threatened. I want to say it is not sin when you get threatened. It's temptation. It's no different when you get tempted to lust. Right? That's not sin. It's what you do with the temptation that determines if it's sin or righteousness, right? Saul gets tempted. He gets threatened in this moment to get offended with God and to withhold and create separation from this young man, David, that God has clearly anointed, who just brought a victory and actually saved his butt, <laughs> if we're being honest, right? Okay. Saul, unfortunately, gives in to the temptation. He partners with the insecurity. He lets that seed take root in his heart, and it grows this bitterness, this withholding, and it literally leads to him doing things that bring absolute destruction upon his family, his home, his, his calling, his destiny, and rip things apart. You following me? You know the story? This is the truth. If you do not kill comparison, comparison will kill you. If you do not go after this, you have to understand this is not some type of passive thing. Oh, I'm just living. I'm just feeling insecure. It is, it is an enemy that has come to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And if you do not put this thing to death, it will put you to death. It will destroy the plans of God. It will rip apart things. It will bring division. It will withhold. It will cause all kinds of dissension and get you so strangled that you don't even know what, which way is left and which way is right anymore because he was possessed. Saul says it became like he didn't even know. You know he's like crazy because he was possessed by this insecurity and this paradigm of comparison. Saul was a king who behaved like an orphan. And when I say that, do not remove yourself as if you're immune from the same thing. We are a royal priesthood, right? Saul was a normal man. It says the spirit of God came upon him and he was like a new man. That's kind of a, like a typological look at the new creation in Christ. We were just a normal person and then the spirit of God came upon us and we became a new creation in Christ, dead to sin, but alive to God. And he put a blood transfusion in us and we became royal. But Saul, in his mind, he was not transformed. He was not renewed to actually believing it. So he still lived like an orphan. Orphans live in a paradigm that's governed by lack. It's, it's, it's completely infected by this idea of scarcity. There's only so many slices of pie, and I need to get one before they all go away because then I might not have any for myself. 
So Saul's in the chariot, and he hears this song, and somehow he doesn't hear Saul did his thousands. That's pretty good. He just hears David did his tens of thousands, and he interprets that through a lens of lack that makes him feel like he's getting something stolen from him, and he needs to hang on to what he has. This song, thousands, ten thousands, was a prophetic song. And I don't believe it was punishment. I believe it was the Lord prophesying to Saul about his legacy of what he could enter into. This is what you did, Saul, but I'm going I'm to increase what you started ten times on your successor, David. If Saul had the heart of Jesus, that would have been like, woohoo! Are you kidding me? That's like the goal. That's like a dream for leadership. I'm going to start this. I'm going to start this church. And then God says, the person that's taking it over for me, because I'm not going to lead this church eternally. Someone else is coming. And God says, the guy that's coming to take it from you, he's going to make it 10 times greater. Are you kidding me? You're going to start a business and the next person's going to, like, that's the goal. John Maxwell, he quotes a Chinese proverb all the time. He says, if you're planning for a year, plant rice. If you're planning for a decade, plant trees. If you're planning for a century, plant men. The way we make our blip of a life, blip, blip. It's like 90 years. Blip, 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 blip. Right? The only way we make that blip mean anything, we make that, that note of our life, we make that note mean anything. we got like one note in the symphony of eternity. The only way we make that note meaningful is if we pass our lives on so that it becomes a song. But it's a multi-generational song. God is prophesying to Saul, who has partnered with insecurity, who he knows he's losing the throne because of his actions. God is prophesying, saying, I have legacy for you still. Do it right. That's what I believe. But Saul is blind because he's living in a paradigm an orphan paradigm, a poverty mindset. He can't even see that. He just feels like he's getting punished, feels like he's got to protect. And so he partners with insecurity, does all kinds of crazy crap, and misses out on the promise of God for his life. We will miss out on the calling and the destiny if all we can see is me, self. Follow me? Philippians 2 says this. It uh, says with, uh, I'm going to read it. I don't want to botch this. It's a good verse. Paul would be upset. I want to do him justice, you know what I mean? He spent some good time writing this stuff. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do nothing from selfishness, but with humility regard others as more important than yourselves. That sounds like honor. Do nothing for yourself, but bestow value and worth on others. Just like what Jesus did. Whoa, this is cool. This is cool. So if we're taking this verse literally, when we are insecure, living in comparison, what do we do? We honor. We honor when it hurts. Wow, that person is saying things. Like this is what I used to do. When people would, I'd, come, I'd confront somebody that God was moving through in a unique way that I hadn't experienced. I was like, eh, let me figure out what's wrong with them. Criticize, 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 criticize. Oh, yep, now I feel better about myself. They're just crazy emotional people. 
Yeah. When I was first confronted with people that told me God healed and would pray for healing, I'd see them praying for healing sometimes. The campus I was at, nope, 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 they're weird. No, that was uncomfortable. No, they're just zealous. They're da-da-da, hyper-spiritual. Okay, I feel better about myself now. Yeah, you know what that does? That creates, that's what Jesus refers to as the wealthy, who it's more difficult to enter through the eye of a camel, camel's needle, or whatever he said. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not making up verses. It's in there somewhere. It's Matthew 18, I think. All right? But that's the wealthy he's talking about. It's harder for these rich people to get into the kingdom. You know why? Because their invitation. No, I'm satisfied. We miss out on the opportunity. We are to be provoked. We are to stir one another up to good deeds. God has gifted the body to provoke one another into the fullness of God. Right? But we will only get there if we honor. When we're insecure, we honor. I'm going to value you. I'm going to just, I'm going to just say, wow, I'm going to celebrate your gift. I'm going to like put, I'm going to like create space for you to shine. And I'm just going to look and I'm provoked. I want it, but I'm going to honor you. I'm going to celebrate you because you start lifting somebody up and you begin to recognize worth. And God says, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. When you give, it will be pressed down, shaken, start running over and will be poured back into your lap. What would happen? We don't regard for ourselves. I don't have to make it myself. I can just honor. Will you pray for me? Will you bless me? Wow, God's using you. Right? You, get, you, start, you start getting hungry. Things start shifting. God's like, yeah, cultivating humility. He's putting that insecurity death when that takes place. Because it won't exist where there's love. Where you create love, insecurity has to flee. All right, what do you do when you're feeling arrogant by comparison? You honor you self-empty. You recognize that the platform you've been given because God's flowing through your life isn't so that you'll look awesome. It's so that you can bend down to people and you can stick them on your shoulder and you can get them up and you can create space. You can learn from them. You can humble yourself. You can, you can be like Jesus who says, in, uh, when John was talking about, uh, he, when he's about to wash the disciples' feet, he says, And Jesus, knowing fully that he came from the Father, and he was returning to the Father. In other words, Jesus, at the height of his self-awareness, that I came from God, I'm going to God. He was so, you know, confident in who he was. It says, he humbled himself, took on the rag, and began to wash feet. Whoa! Whoa, with humility of mind, don't take regard for yourself. But regard others more important than yourself. Whoa, that's crazy. The height of your self-awareness, you served. So what happens when I start kind of feeling puffed up? Maybe I'm just getting filled with honor. It's like, whoa, what do I do with this? Serve. Find someone to serve. Find, use your favor to lift other people up around you. That's this example I see of this outside of all right, we're almost done here. I want to give an, the, the greatest example I see of this outside of Jesus in the scriptures, and that comes in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. And this is dealing with Jonathan and David. Right, Jonathan is 10 to 15 years older than David. Right? And Jonathan was the successor to the throne of his father Saul. So what David received was actually... Supposed to be Jonathan's. You following me? 
So if there's ever a time to be insecure, threatened, anything, this is the extremity of that situation. David gets exalted in the sight of the whole nation. It is clear. The rumors have spread. Samuel prophesied this one to be the king. Saul didn't know what he thought of that, but it's, 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 it's evident. You cannot hide something like from that. And, and it says here in 18 verse 1, Now it came about when he'd finished speaking to Saul, this is after the battle with Goliath, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and didn't let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whoa, are you kidding me? What motivated that? The agape of God. When you love, when you, when you love, you bestow honor. And you, do, you put to death the insecurity that wants to bring division and still kill and destroy your call. And Jonathan, Jonathan's a hero of the faith for me. He wrote a legacy. He made something beautiful out of a difficult situation. Agape, this is all the fruit of agape. There's two people that I just felt the Lord wanted me to share that have personally demonstrated this. First one is my mother. I'm sure many of you in this room can testify. She makes you feel very special when you're around her. It's because she's practiced as a posture of her life, self-deferment. She will make herself small around you so that you can shine. She'll create space in the conversation for you to be celebrated. She goes out of her way. She does it. You wouldn't know it, but I know it because I've seen it so many times for so many years. Self-deferment. Let me let you feel special. Let me create space. When you're around me, I'm going to create space. She creates space for you to be valued. And we've, we're all, anybody that's been with her, you know. You're like, gosh, I feel so good when I'm around you. I feel like you just, whew, I'm ready to go. Just drank like an energy drink of encouragement. Red Bull gives you wings. That's how I feel about my mom. You're like, whoo, I'm ready to fly, right? Am I, am I lying? Am I telling the truth? Who's experienced that? Right, it's beautiful. All right, there's a man uh, named Rick Irish. He's uh, he's my spiritual director, and uh, he, when we'll meet, he will just self defer to such a way that I, it almost makes me uncomfortable because I'm like, ah, oh. starts feeling like this unworthiness can come up in me. Like, why are you just keep investing in me and asking these questions and discerning and caring and engaging his heart, his spirit with the Lord for my life. I left uh, months ago, I left uh, the restaurant after we talked for a number of hours. It's usually probably two hours we talk for. And I felt so full. And I just said, God, I want to be like that. I, I want to live my life in such a way that anytime someone leaves my presence, that's how they feel. Like, I just, I preferred them. I valued them. Amen? I believe when this takes place, uh, something very dynamic happens. My prayer as a body is that God will knit our souls together in love. That's a prayer in the scripture. It's Colossians 2.2. 2. This is the awesome thing. Paul prays that your hearts will be knit together in love. And then the next verse talks about then you'll have an understanding of the wealth uh, of Christ, essentially. I'll, I'll read it for you because, again, I don't want to botch Paul's words. He's kind of a linguistic genius. I didn't read it last service because it just came to me, but 
It's a beautiful verse. It says, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He links a community that's knit together in love with this wealth and understanding of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. I believe it's because there's a link between that. The wealthiest people on planet earth are the people who are rich in love. I'm not talking about money, I'm not talking about finances. The wealthiest people on the planet are those that are rich in love. A culture of honor is one that is knit together. It is one that will prefer and champion another dream and champion God's movement on your life and leave space for you to shine and not take account of yourself. And this is what I believe that that community progresses, walks into. There's no scarcity. There's no plenty of pieces of pie for everyone. There's no scarcity. There's no lack. When we will empty and just prefer, 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 we will find all of a sudden that there's great wealth. There's great joy. There's great inheritance in our lives because he's not a God who withholds inheritance. There's an inheritance for each one of us. It's a heavenly inheritance. It's a royal inheritance. But we'll only step into that if insecurity, comparison, arrogance has been put to death. Amen? Awesome. I think I'm going to stop there because it's late. So stand up. I'm going to pray. And then there is ministry tonight. So Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for agape. We thank you, Lord, that you can truly make us a people of love who don't seek their own, who are patient, kind, not jealous. Enduring, God, we want to become like your son. And I pray, Lord, that you will do a deep work in the soul of this church. God, I ask that you will knit us together in love, that you will literally come into the very fabric of our souls and begin to weave us together, God, at the unity with a bond of love that is so strong so that we will become this wealthiest of all people who have such an understanding of the mystery of who you are, God. We want to be a people living in our inheritance. And so we ask, God, that you will cultivate, you will help us cultivate an environment of honor where every member receives the same care, where every member is significant, where every member knows who they are and what they're called to, and they are championed and celebrated because of it, God. We thank you that this is not possible with man, but with God, all things are possible. And we believe, God, and we thank you that what you're beginning in us tonight, Lord, you will continue and bring to fruition until the day when you come in your fullness, God. We bless you and we love you. And we thank you for everything you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.